All right. Uh, so here's what I want to do tonight. I, I want to talk to you about how to celebrate Christmas, uh, the right way, the proper way to celebrate this holiday that we call Christmas. Um, there is probably in America, um, and maybe you could say in the Western world in general, but, but in America there is no holiday that is celebrated more than Christmas. And by that, I don't mean necessarily that um, there are more people celebrating Christmas than any other holiday. I, I don't know that for sure. There might be more that celebrate Fourth of July or New Year's Eve. But what I mean by that is that um, there is no holiday that gets as much attention, that um, takes up as much effort and time. Like, like every other holiday that we celebrate gets one day. Um, Christmas, we even have a word for it, the Christmas season. Um, it gets like a season. It gets a whole month. It gets all of December that we spend talking about it. Or if you're um, my wife, then it gets like two months because <laughs> she wants to put the Christmas tree out right after Halloween um, rather than right after Thanksgiving. And so um, for, for a lot of people, it takes, it, it takes up a lot of space. And, and you hear the songs playing in Walmart or whatever store like as soon as Thanksgiving is over, sometimes before and, and you start to see the decorations up everywhere. It, it takes a lot of time in our country. But it also has, I think, more than any other holiday, it has way more traditions uh, wrapped up in the celebration of Christmas than, than there are in any other holiday. Um, it is celebrated in a lot of different ways, and there are a lot of different practices that are tied up with Christmas um, yeah, there's so many other things that go along with it. Um, some of them are kind of universal, things that almost everybody does, at least in America, things like Christmas trees and Christmas lights and presents and, and singing Christmas carols. Those things are kind of like universal, like almost everybody does those things. And then there's some that are kind of unique. Um, seems like almost every family has some of their own kind of unique ways that they go about Christmas. For some of you, it's always like Christmas dinner is always Christmas turkey. For some of you, it is no turkey is for Thanksgiving. It's always a Christmas ham. And, and maybe you might be one of those families that does like something completely. There's, I, I got friends, they, their thing is homemade pizza every Christmas. That's what they do. Um, or, or for some of you, you, you celebrate Christmas on the day, and that's when you get around the tree and open up presents and do that stuff. And for some of you, it's Christmas Eve. And, and for some of you, your family's like it was random every year, which was kind of mine, right? <laughs> mine was totally different every year, and I married an on-the-day girl, and that caused some conflict early on, okay? Um, I didn't even know that, yeah, you could, you could have fights about when to actually do Christmas, but you can't have fights about when to do Christmas. Um, but, but, so like we had like some unique um, family traditions like in, in my own family growing up. So one of them was um, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, at least one night of the year, um, my, my parents would throw us in the car. We'd, we'd have our jammas on. We'd have our footy pajamas on. Um, and, and we'd get in the car. And like when we were little, my, my parents drove a Pontiac T-1000 which was like this little bitty hatchback car. So you could set the back seat kind of down and lay it flat, and the three of us could all just lay down in there and look out the big window of the hatchback. And we would go, and early on we got like popcorn, but as we got older we would go get a shake from Brahms, and we would drive around with shakes from Brahms and look at Christmas lights around town. And it became this kind of annual thing that we did, and, and we would do that all the time. And, of course, you get older and you start getting kind of excited about like passing those traditions on to your your kids and your family. And so I remember the first year that we wanted to do that. Um, I think it was 2012. 
So <coughs> Ella, our oldest, would have been three. Hudson would have been two. And Amy was six months pregnant with Hadley. And, uh, and so this was like, I remember they're finally somewhat old enough to kind of appreciate slash enjoy this. And I can't wait to kind of carry on the moss tradition of shakes and Christmas lights together. And so we got all excited and went and got this big thing. We went through Brahms, got the shakes, went through the drive-thru. But like Hudson is, um, my son like loves anything junk food, right? And so instead of it being this kind of beautiful, enjoyable experience throughout where we sipped on shakes peacefully, Hudson downed his in like five minutes and then was just ticked that he didn't have any more shake for the rest of the night. Um, kind of just like yelling and whining at us. And then my daughter, Ella, gets car sick kind of easy. And so on the other side of town, after actually, first of all, she couldn't get her shake out. It was kind of thick. And so Amy had to kind of, at six months pregnant, crawl back in the back seat and wedge herself between the two car seats and then help them get the shake out. And then Ella started getting car sick. And so she starts yelling while we're across town, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. And if you have ever cleaned puke out of a car seat. It is the worst because there are just so many little nooks and crannies for those chunks to get into. Um, and so, so we just, sorry, that, I did not need to go there, did I? My bad. Um, and so like we had to, it didn't happen, okay? We got back quick. It, di it didn't happen. But we had to cut that night short and this tradition that I had. Another one, and this wasn't like an every year thing, but there are a couple times when my parents would put us to bed one night um, like on Christmas Eve or just on, a, like I said, we did Christmas kind of randomly. So they put us to bed one night and then, um, you know, and then once we went to bed, they would put all the presents under the tree. And then at like 10 o'clock at night after we had fallen asleep, they would come in like waking us up, like banging pots and pans and be like, Merry Christmas. And they would let us get up like at 10 o'clock at night, which was way later than we'd ever been, you know, and let us get up and we would do all our presents and stuff. And uh, which is really cool, and, and my brother Lane wanted to carry that tradition on, and so a few years ago they did that with their sons, but I think maybe we were older when we did it, because apparently when you run into like a six and seven year old's room pounding pots and pans in the night, it's more traumatic than exciting. Um, like they had like video of them like to go to like get the happy looks on their faces when I got to, instead they sent the video and the kids are just screaming and tears are running down their faces and all those things. So not all traditions carry over quite as well, um, but those are ones that have happened in our life. Christmas is celebrated in a ton of different ways. And, and Sometimes, sometimes the way people celebrate, no, not sometimes, a lot of times the way people celebrate Christmas in America is not right. Um, Christmas a lot of times gets celebrated just basically, I mean, this is kind of the, the, the common one that gets talked about. The way a lot of people celebrate Christmas is just consumerism, which is just buy a whole lot of stuff for ourselves. And, and sometimes the way people celebrate Christmas is in um, good things, but maybe still not like the best way, and that is that they make Christmas all about family. And, and that's something that even sounds noble and good, and we talk about, you know, Christmas is a time for us to slow down and focus on the people that are our loved ones that are close to us, and, and that's a good thing. It's just not, it's not really the main way you're supposed to celebrate Christmas. Some people make it about nostalgia and reliving good memories. And, and some people say, no, it's supposed to be spiritual. And so they do things like Advent where they're trying to read and, and focus themselves on Jesus and those kinds of things. All of these are good. Here's the question. How are we supposed to celebrate Christmas? Like, what's the right way 
to celebrate Christmas? I want to ask that question tonight, and, and I want us to try to answer it. Um, how should we celebrate? Oop. Sorry for those of you behind the tree over there. This is going to mean nothing to you. Um, how should we celebrate? Now, let me just say, I'm not, I'm not asking this question. I'm not asking what do we celebrate at Christmas, okay? For me, that answer is simple. What we are celebrating at Christmas is the birth of Jesus Christ. What we are celebrating at Christmas is this idea that Jesus is the Son of God, came to the earth to be with us. This is the name that they gave him when he came. Um, the angel said, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'm getting ahead of myself. But that is what we celebrate. I'm asking, how should we celebrate? Um, and, and so, in order to be able to do that, we also have to ask this question of why we celebrate. Again, I'm not saying what, I'm saying why, okay? And in order to do that, we're going to have to do a little mirror image of what I just asked, all right? And that is that we want to know, because what we're celebrating, like I said, we're celebrating that Jesus came. So, why did Jesus come? And I'm not done yet. Last one. How did Jesus come? That's where I want to start tonight. I'll put little question marks there for those English majors that that was bugging. Okay. How did Jesus come? That's, that's a question that doesn't always get asked as much. How did Jesus come here? We actually spent some time talking about that um, or reading about that or listening to that as we sang those songs and, and uh, Kaylee and Connor and Zane stood up and read the Christmas story for us out of Luke describing how Jesus came. And, and the interesting thing about the way Jesus came, especially as Luke describes it, is that it's all upside down. That the way Jesus came is not the way that a king is supposed to come. Because that's what we believe Jesus to be. The king of heaven and the king of earth and the king of everything we know. The way he came is not the way that kings are supposed to come. Luke tells us that Jesus was not born into some like royal family. Some kind of into, into like a king and queen's home. Instead, he was born to an unmarried peasant girl from like backwoods Palestine. That's who he was born to. And um, Luke tells us that he, he wasn't born into a fancy palace and laid in some kind of like um, golden overlaid crib or whatever, but instead he was born, the tradition we always say a stable, probably not actually a stable, probably like the lower room of a house where the animals were kept, maybe a cave is where sometimes the animals were kept, um, born into something like that and laid into a feeding trough where the animals ate out of, which is not what king you're supposed to do with kings when they're born it's not what you're supposed to do with the son of god when he comes and and lastly like kings when when they're born when princes are born it's announced with great fanfare to the nation and and high society all comes to pay their respect but in luke's gospel it's these unimportant no-name shepherds that come and visit him and for those of you going, whoa, wait, 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 there were kings who came and visited him later. No, actually, that's, again, one of those traditions that we talk about the three kings coming. They weren't kings. They were 
Magi is the word, and it's something kind of like astrologers. They were from probably Iran, modern-day Iran or Iraq, and, and people who studied the sky trying to look for signs, and they found this star that said that a king would be born, and so they went to it. But, but Jesus didn't have any like high society, important people show up to his birth. It was just shepherds. This whole story is not as you would expect it to be. He didn't come in the way that the king is supposed to come. He didn't come in the way that the Son of God is supposed to come. But see, the point in Luke's writing, if you pay attention, is, is that actually it was supposed to happen that way. That that whole upside-down thing was exactly the point. Because what Luke is saying is that when Jesus came, he came to turn all of the world's structures upside-down. In fact, in the middle of Luke's telling of this story, there's this thing called the Magnificat. It's where Mary gets kind of overwhelmed with this incredible news that she's carrying the Savior in her womb, and she breaks into song. And if you read that song, the whole theme of the song is how God is doing things upside down, how God is lifting up the humble and the lowly and how he's pushing down the high and mighty, how, how he's lifting up and feeding the poor, and, so, and, and he's taking down... He's taking down the rich and the powerful. That, that Jesus has come and he's flipped things over. And actually, Luke isn't the only one who says this whole sort of upside down thing, this whole kind of humble beginnings thing, is the whole point of it. Like the, that Jesus came that way on purpose. Paul says that too. He says that in Philippians 2, which is where we're going to be tonight. Um, Philippians 2 is this really interesting passage. It's not a real common passage, but... This is kind of fascinating, and we don't know this for sure, and I'm not 100% convinced. There are a number of scholars who think that what we're about to read tonight was an early church hymn, that it was one of the first hymns that the Christians sang, because the language of it seems a little bit kind of poetic. It seems to flow a little bit in that way. If so, then this could probably rightfully be called the very first Christmas carol. And, and, and like I said, I, I don't know if it is, but it's very fascinating. Here's what it says in Philippians 2, verse 6. That Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. We start in that little passage by seeing something unique about Christianity. Something unique about the way the Bible teaches things uh, as opposed to other religions. And that is that it starts by saying that Jesus is himself God. That he is the son of God who's come. Tim Keller says this, every other religion in the world starts with someone showing up and saying, I've come to help you find God. Christianity is the only one that starts with someone showing up and saying, I'm God, come to find you. And everything is flipped over in Christianity, something different. So it says that Jesus is God, he's the Son of God, which means he is the King of heaven and he reigns there in glory and in fullness of joy. He doesn't lack anything, everything is at his disposal. But then Paul says, and in spite of that, Jesus chooses to let go of that. He doesn't he doesn't take his godness, his godhood. He doesn't cling to it. Instead, he chooses to let go of all of that, all that privilege. And that doesn't mean that he becomes less God or not God. No, his nature stays the same. When Jesus was on the earth, he was still God. But he let go of many of the privileges of being God and a number of the attributes of being God in coming to the earth. 
And so that becomes a very big thing. And Paul says, Jesus is at the top of everything, and yet this is the story of Christmas, that he chose to let go of that and lower himself down to become human. And then Paul says, actually it continues, that he didn't just lower himself to be human, that he decided to lower himself and become a servant. And then Paul says not just that, but he lowered himself to become an obedient kind of servant. And not just that, obedient to the point of dying, that is, Jesus lowered himself so that he came here to be killed. That's why he came here. He came here to be wrongfully murdered, wrongfully executed. That's why Jesus came. And then Paul says, one step lower, not only death, he says, but even death on a cross. Now, we hear that and we go, yeah, even death, now that's super painful. No, 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 pain is not what he's talking about there. Don't think pain, think shame. Cross was the, the most shameful death you could experience in a society that was built all around honor and shame. It was the lowest you could go. There were some Roman writers from the time who said, um, the topic of crucifixion is not even polite dinner conversation for Roman citizens. Shouldn't even talk about that around the table with people because it is so despicable. And that's what God came and did. Jesus, as the Son of God, gave up King to come all the way down and be crucified on a cross. So, how did Jesus come? He came to us in self-giving humility. This is his own words, and we referenced this last week. Mark 10.45, Jesus says this, I came not to be served, but to serve. God came to serve. That's, that's crazy. That's mind-blowing. I came not to be served, but to serve, and to offer my life as a ransom for many. To offer my life to pay the way for other people, to pay the price for other people's sins. And that actually leads us to this next question. Why did Jesus come? Why did He come to us? He, he came because the Bible teaches us this. This is the Christian belief. That you and I and every person in this room, that we were made by God because He loves us. And we were made to know God and to be in a relationship with Him, just like a father is with his son, or just like a father with his daughter. And yet, because we chose to sin, because we chose not to follow Him, but to follow our own way, that we've been separated from Him. And that we were orphaned from the Father that made us in love. And so the Bible says that Jesus came to this earth to bring us back to Him. To make a way back to the Father. He did not come, and this is again, this is another area where Christianity is unique. He didn't come to teach us how to live like the founders of other religions, although he did that. He didn't come just so we could be better people living better lives, although he does that. He came to make a way for us to be with God. He came, this is why he came, to save us by his death on a cross. This is what the Bible says, and it's clear about this. 1 John 3, 5, Jesus appeared in order to take away our sins. Matthew 1, 21, he will save his people from their sins. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, that is, to bring us back, 
to buy us back, to redeem uh, those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters, so that you could be God's son again, so that you could be God's daughter again, just like he always intended. That is why Jesus came to save us. He came and he lived a sinless life, lived a life without sin in order that he could then take your sins upon himself and to take my sins upon him and die on a cross to pay for those. This is this passage that we've been talking about a few weeks ago. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And this leads to something kind of weird about Christmas. And that is why we celebrate it. This is why we should celebrate it. Because He saved us. By His death and resurrection. So we see that these two ideas are parallel. He saved us by His death and resurrection. And that's what makes Christmas weird is that we're not just celebrating the birth of Jesus and the coming of Him in this. That the reason we celebrate it is because we're looking forward to His death. Because we're anticipating His dying. And that seems kind of weird. I was talking with Alec today and he said, this, this thought just occurred to me a few days ago that in Christmas I'm actually sort of celebrating Jesus dying. Um, a few years ago, at Sunnybrook, we were doing a Christmas Eve service, and, and we, we tried to tell the whole story of the Bible from front to back, kind of how we, how we sinned and how we've been separated from God and how we needed Him to come bring us back through Jesus. And so we walked not just through the birth of Jesus, but on to His death, and then, and this is important, of course, His resurrection, that He came back. But we talked about His death there, and we actually got like a note. We got a complaint from from some of the members at Sunbreak, at least one, at least one couple. I can't remember if there were any more. A couple who basically said, "Hey, when I come to a Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve, I don't want to think about Jesus dying. I'm I'm coming to think about sweet baby Jesus. I want to think about like cuddly Jesus in a manger, right? Um, sweet eight pound six ounce baby Jesus. Um, <laughs> that uh, that's 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 the Jesus I want." And, and, uh, and, and they were upset about that. I, I didn't come here to hear about him dying. But that's what, makes, that's what makes his coming such good news, is that he came not just to teach us some things, and not just to show us how to live a better life, but he came in order to save us by his death and by his resurrection. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate it because Christmas is the promise that when we turned away from God, he didn't leave us to ourselves. That, that he didn't say, fine, you go off on your own, that he came after us, that he loved us enough to pursue us, to come and give up his only son for us. And that's why, that's why there's hope in Christmas. That's why Christmas brings us joy. And now we come to this last question, the, the question that we asked at the very beginning, the whole point that we've been driving to is this. So then, how should we celebrate it? And the answer to that comes in that same passage in Philippians. Actually, it comes just a couple verses before the passage that we, led, that we read. So go back to Philippians 2. Now we're starting in verse 3. This is what Paul says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality God something to be grasped. Here it is. We celebrate Christmas by taking the very attitude that brought us Christmas, which is self-giving humility. If this is what Jesus did in order to come here and save us, is this, if this is what made it so that we have the chance to celebrate Him, then the way that we ought to celebrate it is in the same attitude and mindset that He brought, a self-giving humility. That sounds kind of nice. What does that mean? What does it mean to celebrate Christmas with self-giving humility? I think it means two things. First, it means that we humble ourselves before the one who gave up everything for us. That if Jesus would do this for me, how can there not be anything that I would be willing to lower myself and do for Him? How could I not spend my Christmas trying to gain a better knowledge of Him through His Word, trying to gain more joy in Him, trying to reflect on Him and to worship Him? I want to humble myself before the one who did this. Which, by the way... Paul says that's the whole point of this and that's the direction that Christmas has been pointing us this whole time. Watch what happens. So Paul says you ought to have this attitude of humility and humble yourself. Why? Because Jesus had this attitude and he humbled himself. And then this is what he says as he continues. Um, Read verse 8, starting in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he goes, therefore, that is because of this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Um, Paul says one day everyone will bow before him in humility and worship. So you might as well get started now. So you might as well take Christmas as an opportunity to practice, to get ready um, to do that, to start that opportunity. So we, we offer ourselves in, in humble worship to Jesus first. Second, we humble ourselves in our relationships to others, which is what Paul says in 3.4. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do what it is to, whatever you can to consider others more significant than yourselves. So in one week, you will, almost all of you, will go home. And going home is weird when you're in college. I remember the first time I realized that. It was actually Christmas break of my freshman year. And, and I came from a pretty good home life. I, I liked my home life. I liked my family. I liked being there. But I remember the point, sitting in the upstairs room of my house, when the words came out of my mouth. I'm sitting there in Muskogee, and the words came out of my mouth. I just can't wait to be home. And by home, I met back at college. Like, I remember that point realizing, like, home wasn't necessarily home anymore. And it gets weird. And, and one of the things that's weird about it is, like, you've changed a whole lot, but sometimes home hasn't. And, and there's this stuff that maybe you've been growing and doing those things, and those of you who've, who, who follow Jesus and love Him, that, that you feel like maybe Jesus has been doing some stuff in your heart and changing you and growing you up, but you, your family hasn't seen that. Like, they weren't around for that. And... And so you come home and, and they, they treat you kind of like, like you were before you left. 
and it, and it feels like they're talking to someone different than, than the real you now when they're talking those things. And sometimes that can cause some conflict and sometimes that can cause some frustration and some difficulty. Going home can be weird. Um, and sometimes that causes frustrations with the people we love. But imagine what would happen um, if when you went home uh, this, this uh, Christmas, if you like, if you honestly lived like and maybe even believed that you were the least important person in that house all Christmas break. Um, if you honestly did, took on the mindset of Jesus and decided to consider everyone in that house more significant than you, um, and, and what that might look like to offer yourself in self-giving humility. If, if you were truly the servant of the house, that would mean that every time the trash needed to go out, it was your job to do it. That would mean that it's your job to wash the dishes and not mom's. That would mean that it's um, you who's trying to uh, take care of making sure stuff is picked up around the house. That would mean that it's um, you that's trying to be there to support and encourage other people. What if you considered that your job was to go home and love people the way that Jesus loved you with a self-giving humility that served them? What if, what if like your, what if you made yourself, an, made, what if you made it your goal to give more than you got this Christmas? And I don't mean like just giving more presents and stuff like that, but I mean like giving more of yourself than you're getting from other people. That you go home and, and you recognize that you're the one who, who needs to reach out to a younger sibling that's struggling and be someone to listen and be a shoulder to, to kind of cry on. Or you're the one who needs to make sure that you're encouraging your parents and sharing with them how grateful you are for them. How would that be? Listen, they, they might still not get it. They might still kind of see you as like the high school version of you. But maybe they would also get to see a little bit of Jesus in that as well. Um, what would it look like actually if you started that now? What if you considered yourself the least important person on campus this next week? or the least important person in your apartment, um, the primary servant, just like Jesus, who was the most important person on the earth, acted as though he was the least. Um, what if you lived like that? I think a lot of, um, there are a lot of cool Christmas practices and traditions that we can take part in. Christmas trees are awesome. Um, Christmas lights and going around and looking at Christmas lights, I love that. Singing Christmas songs, wearing tacky Christmas sweaters, all of that stuff is fun. But did you know that the most Christmassy thing you could do this Christmas, the most festive thing you could do, the greatest holiday spirit you could have is the mind of Christ. The most Christmassy thing you could do is not wear a fuzzy sweater, but to get down on your knees and scrub the floor, or scrub toilets. The most Christmassy thing you could do is live a life of self-giving humility, to people around you. That's, that's the spirit of Christmas. Um, it's this humility that is grateful for what Jesus has done for you. Um, I want to pray. Pray that we can have that. But I also want to say this. Uh, if you've got any questions about anything that we talked about tonight, I mean, if there's something that doesn't make sense, if you don't know how to go home and maybe live this out in your home, or, or maybe you have... Uh, this whole Christmas story is kind of brand new to you and, and you're having a hard time connecting all the dots and you want to talk about it, um, I would love to talk to you about that afterwards. I would love to, to share with you a little bit about that stuff. Also, I think we still have that Bible from, from here last year. So if anybody doesn't have a Bible and wants one, that'll be our Christmas present to you. We've got a, we've got a Bible for you that we would like to give to you if you're interested in that. So let me pray and then we'll be done.
Dear God, this idea I know of, of Christmas is so big, and I think, I think we could spend a lifetime trying to think about it, how God becomes a baby, and how, how uh, God comes to serve, and how God comes to die. Um, and, and that's just so big, and, and there's uh, part of me that's really glad that I, that I can't figure it all out so that I can think about it more and explore it more. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us all a bigger picture of Jesus this Christmas season. Help us to love him more. I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before him in worship and sacrifice and that you would help us to humble ourselves in the way we treat other people that your Holy Spirit would display Jesus through us as we act just like he did when he came all those years ago to save us. We love you. Open our eyes to the truth. I ask you that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, it's our kind of practice around here, our table tradition, um, to always have some snacks here afterwards and hang out for a little bit. I think we got Christmas cookies um, here tonight, I think, and some hot chocolate. And so... <laughs> Um, want to invite you to, to hang out with us for a little bit, eat some cookies, and, and chat with some people. All right?